Welcome to episode 272 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was uploaded on Tuesday 20th of April 2021. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. How women change the world on two wheels. That's the premise of a new book called Revolutions. I'm Carlton Reed, and on today's show, which is a little under an hour long, I talk history and modern day radicalism with Revolutions author Hannah Ross. We discuss some of the larger than life characters from her book, such as Annie Londonderry, Jackie Phelan, Lady Harburton, and pioneering mountain biking photographer Wend Cragg. Naturally, we recorded over the internet, and what I thought uh, was a PC fan, a computer fan, uh, turned out to be, I found out afterwards, turned out to be a heater uh, in Hannah's spare uh, room. Now, it turns on three or four times during the show, but Hannah was in such full flow that I really didn't like to stop her uh, to complain. But it won't mar your enjoyment. And on today's show, I've got Hannah Ross, who has written an excellent book uh, called Revolutions. And it, uh, the, the, the subhead to that is How Women Change the World on Two Wheels. So it is a history book. There's tons and tons of stuff in there on my speciality, like 19th, uh, late 18. Uh, 80s, 1890s, when when and bicycling absolutely was 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 revolutionary. But then there's tons of stuff that's bang up to date. So you've got Aisha McGowan in there. You've got like Wendy Cragg from the mountain biking days um, in the in the uh, well, kind of late 70s, early 1980s. Uh, you've got uh, you, you interviewed uh, Devlin Murphy. Uh, Hannah, you, it's just a fascinating book with loads and loads of uh, brilliant people. Uh, an awful lot of them are actually not with us anymore because it's a history book. But tell us about you, Hannah. So who is Hannah Ross? What do you do when you're not writing great books? Right. Very, um, very difficult question to answer. Um, I am, well, my professional job is I work in book publishing, not the publisher who published my book, but another publisher. Um, I'm currently on maternity leave and have a nine-month-old baby. Um, so I had is that a, Cleo? That's Cleo. So I had a, a lockdown baby. Um, so that's all been very strange. But obviously, I am a very keen cyclist, or I probably wouldn't have written this book. Um, so the, the reason I know your, yeah. your baby's name, sorry, sorry, Hannah, is I'm all guessing there, was because you've dedicated the book to Cleo. Exactly. And then you say to Cleo, and I hope you'd grow up to be a cyclist in effect, which was very sweet. Yes. Well, actually, the book was meant to come out last year, um, but because of the pandemic, it got moved on. So last year, the dedication mm. was to the bump. Um, <laughs> so I got to change that now, um, now that we know who she is. Well, let's talk about the bump and, and the, 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 
the Clio shaped um, non-bump now. So you, you cycle, because in the book, it talks about this a little bit, because it, it talks about uh, cycling when pregnant, because you moved to France to do the book, didn't you? I moved to France, yes. In, um, I was very, very lucky that my work granted me a sabbatical for eight months. And um, I thought, well, let's take this opportunity and let's go and live in France. And um, obviously one of the best countries in the world for cycling. So whilst I was doing a lot of writing, I also was doing quite a lot of cycling. Um, and in the, um, the foothills of the Pyrenees, it was very, very nice. Um, so yes, happy, <laughs> happy time. So you moved there and you were doing some cycling and, and then you were cycling up to term? Where, where, I tell, was, tell us yes. about how you yeah. had your pregnancy and, and cycling, cycling and pregnancy yeah. basically. Um, so my intention was to carry on as much as it felt comfortable to do so. Um, so I, my life normally when I'm at, certainly when I'm in London, consists of cycling to work every day, but also doing longer rides at weekends out in, I live in North London. And I wanted to continue with that if, if it felt right. Um, obviously I had no idea it's my practice, my first pregnancy. So, um, I just thought, Okay, let's just see how it goes. I'd seen people like cyclocross um, uh, champion Helen Wyman, who I interviewed in the book. She had her baby a few months before me. She had been cycling up until the baby was born. I thought, okay, yeah, I'll do that too. Um, and so I had been going out. I'd be doing longer rides. I'd be getting quite a bit slower and actually taking it quite easily, really, thinking, oh, well, I'm pregnant. Um, it's more about the cafe stops now. Um but then uh, lockdown happened uh, and my rides became rides around Regent Park. Um, not really my type of cycling, but it was still good to get, get out and get some exercise and just sort of pottering around London more. Um, but also actually became really, um, it was actually very useful that I cycled everywhere because I could get to hospital appointments. I didn't have to take public transport. Um, I was still one of the only people I think I ever saw in the maternity unit with a bicycle helmet. Tell us about Marfan syndrome. The Marfan syndrome, I was um, diagnosed with that as a child. Um, and it's it's quite a complex um, syndrome, which kind of affects and affect various um, different different parts of your body um but essentially it's, it's a problem with your ligaments where they become um very stretchy um and ligaments are sort of in lots of different parts of your body your eyes your heart um and uh it can um cause um in very rare circumstances it can cause um quite significant problems with your heart um and some doctors if you're affected quite significantly would advise to, to keep exercise to a, to a minimum um luckily my um i have the condition quite mildly um and my doctors have generally been very supportive about carrying on um and does cycling help hannah it's cycling help it, that it's, it's in, in a sense it's in the way that being um active and keeping your heart healthy helps Mm. Um, but pushing yourself to an extreme so not that this has ever been my plan but had I wanted to be a competitive cyclist that would be completely out of the question um, so anyone in professional sport who who has a diagnosis of Marfan syndrome probably wouldn't be allowed to compete on a, on a team um, and certainly it, the condition can make you very tall um, so in the past a lot of basketball players have um 
later found out that they've had Marfan syndrome and then had to retire early. Um, but yes, it has, it, it, I, I generally take things reasonably easy. Don't push myself too hard, but also don't let it stop me backing up mm. mountains in the Pyrenees. So, um, mm. I sort of, yeah, just, um, live with it and keep doing what I'm doing. And why did you write? revolutions why did you write a bicycle or a, a history book no i shouldn't even say a history book because really, there's lots of modern stuff in there why did you write a book about women cycling and changing the world <laughs> um because it hadn't really been done before um so i sort of had a, a kind of look around and thought someone must have done this because of the stories the story about um, well, obviously, you know, a lot, obviously, you said, you know, a lot about this, the kind of the story of women taking up cycling so enthusiastically, um, in the 1890s is, is extraordinary. But following on from that, the whole story of, um, through the 20th century up to the 21st, um, just in all aspects of cycling, there's some really kind of incredible stories. And a lot of them, a lot of it is about overcoming, obstacles and adversity and prejudice and I just felt that those stories hadn't been hadn't had the focus that the perhaps they should have done um and I wanted to make it a book um that wasn't just about cycling as a sport um mm. because there is a lot there is a lot of um books about professional women cycling um but much less so that kind of tries to cover all aspects of all different types of cyclists or people mm. who cycle. Um, in the end, I think it was quite ambitious, actually. Um, as I was writing, I was thinking, gosh, I'm getting longer and <laughs> longer as I'm trying to fit actually everything in. Um, and unfortunately, it meant that I couldn't cover every story that I wanted to, um, which was a shame. But but I just wanted to, in some way, show the kind of breadth of, of cyclists um, and all the time kind of relate that back to um, how it's been, um, also how, how kind of um, central cycling has been in feminist history um, from mm. Victorian times to now. Um, well, let's, let's 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 go to that first because you, you mentioned that the, the world of cycling or racing is, is is relatively well covered. So Beryl Burton, you know, there's there's books on Beryl Burton already. Yeah. Um, clearly, there's there's some of the modern um, uh, women superstars have got books out. So that's 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 a given as well. But these other names, perhaps people aren't quite so familiar, apart from maybe Susan B. Anthony, because. That's obviously the quote that yes. virtually every you couldn't yeah. avoid that quote, <laughs> no, could you? That is just no. uh, you know that's that's gold plated quote uh, on your yeah. kind of book. That's just going to be. But so what is the quote? Let's hear the quote and and give us a bit of background on 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 because she was quite old at the time, Susan B. Anthony. She wasn't a cyclist herself. She, she was cyclist, just looking no. at other people. No, she wasn't a cyclist. Um, uh, and now you're testing me. Oh my goodness, what is it? And now I've written this. Bicycling has done more to emancipate women, basically, yes. is the and, is the gist of the quote. And she calls it the freedom machine. Yes. Um, which is what I use sort of repeatedly as a kind of um as a as an image throughout the book, this, this freedom machine. Um yes, she was um she was completely um despite being unable to never getting on a bicycle herself, she was she absolutely identified that this was a revolutionary thing for women's lives, um, and represented this, this 
tipping point, which is where feminism was at that point in time, and and that the bicycle could be part of that, and and, and possibly symbolise some of that as well. Um, this idea so so why were... why was it so important? Because you could get away from chaperones. It was independent. Did, why did Susan B. Anthony and many other feminists of the period why did they latch on to bicycles? Because yeah, well, for what you've just said, it's about about getting away or not necessarily getting away but just having freedom of movement um when women's lives at this time were generally i would say um defined by their containment um so they have no political rights they have no economic rights they had little um sort of um and this is generally this is not absolutely this is not everyone but generally they um I mean, obviously, you know, they didn't have the right to vote at this point. Um, that's an absolute. But um, generally, their lives were fairly um, controlled, um, it, even down to the clothes that they wore or were expected to wear. Huge, great long skirts, huge petticoats, miles and miles of fabric, all of that. It's, it's this idea of stopping them having the freedom of movement. Bicycle comes along, it's revolutionary for absolutely everyone um, at this time. I mean, it's hard for us now to kind of really imagine what that must have felt like um, for, for, for anyone being able to get on this machine and be able to just travel somewhere um, mm. with relatively little effort, places that they might never have, might never have got as far to before. They just couldn't. Um, but for women in particular, this idea is sort of their bodies moving through space, um, they're under their own power. Just being able to decide where they want to go on their own terms, um, and as anyone who gets on a bicycle now, um, it, you know, today would say what they love about cycling is it feels freeing. I feel like the, the, the kind of um, the language that's always used is things like you know, it's like flying. It's um, you know, I just love that feeling of the wind on my face. So you can imagine that, that you know, that back in back then. Um, those things would have been even more precious. Mm. And you mentioned clothing and, and, and the, the, the volumes of, of clothing women were, were wearing back then. And of course, cycling. But bloomers didn't originate with cycling. They, it, was a, it was a form of dress that uh, came from outside. of cycling. But it's popularised very much so yes. uh, by cycling. And then this is called rational dress. So in effect, trousers. Uh, for women. So tell us about Lady Harburton, because this is a, a, a famous case that, of course, the cyclist touring club of the day took on. So what did Lady Harburton do? And and and, and tell us about that. Um, well, Lady Harburton was a keen cyclist um, and she was also very um, keen on not wearing skirts when she was cycling. So she um, was an adopter of rational dress, as you said, the, the bloomers or knickerbockers. Um, the knee um, and she was also um, but it what it, it for her it sort of ran deeper than that it wasn't just about um, the fact that it was a practical outfit to be wearing on a bicycle the skirt you know that the skirts weren't going to be caught up in the chain it wasn't going to be dangerous for her wearing rational dress was the sensible thing to be doing whatever you were doing um, and she felt very very strongly about this um and when on out on a bicycle ride um in 
2008, I think it was, um, she was riding in Surrey and wanted to stop for some coffee at a hotel um, called the, the Hope Boy Hotel, um, and she was barred from entering the coffee lounge, um, what was then called the coffee lounge, um, on account of her dress or the lack of dress, um, as they would have seen it. Um, they were horrified that this woman wearing um, bloomers, knickerbockers, wanted to, to come into their um, to their lounge and sit down with the other ladies um, to drink her drink her coffee and they barred her um and they said, mm-hmm. instead they said you could you could sit in the bar um which lady harberton i don't think would have been naturally a fan of going to the bar at this mm-hmm. point because <laughs> um, it this was a cause celebre of the time yeah. I mean, this is this is a major news story at the yes. time this wasn't just like some uh little anecdote we're dragging out this is like a major story yes. of the time yes. of you know a bolshy woman, in effect, yes, um, trying to get her own way yeah. in 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 these these clothes. Now she lost the case, so she, she the took case, the yeah. the landlady of the Hawk Boy in Ockham. Uh, they were uh, cyclist touring club took the took her to court, or they he took uh, Lady Harbin and took them to court, but they lost. Yeah, on account of the fact that they did offer her somewhere else to have a yes. drink, which wasn't acceptable. To, and it wasn't; it was unacceptable. She wanted to make a point of the fact that she should have been allowed to wear what she wanted to wear um, in place where she wanted to be. Um, mm. And like you say, it was, you know, this isn't a minor um, cycling story. This is this is a really significant story. It's really, it's not really about cycling. It's about women's mm. um, freedom to choose you know, how they dress and um, mm. how they conduct their lives. Um, and she really wanted to make a point of that. And, you know, she's extraordinary. And the last time I was down there, they were converting the Hawk Boy to apartments. So I believe you can now live in, in this coffee lounge. Um, <laughs> it could be part of your, your living room, I'm sure. Uh, and because Ockham, where it is, is all, that's also where Ockham's razor uh, comes oh. from. So, you know, 14th century, whatever, yes. uh, medieval, um uh, scholar that uh, he's from the, the same Surrey village as as uh, the Hawk Boy uh, made uh, just as famous in uh, in the late nineteenth century. So women were were pushing back, were were asking to wear, which we think uh, totally unshocking. We're, we're just saying that we would quite like to wear comfortable clothes, please, while we ride ride our bicycles. Yes. Uh, but they were also doing these amazing. Journeys, which again we 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 hear many of the stories of the, like the, the the male daring do, you know the the male, you know going around the world. But then you had this amazing woman, um, uh, uh, Annie. Uh, well, she's a, has a, was she Polish? Uh, Latvian. Um, she, Latvian. Latvian. So yeah. she London Dairy was was her name. She like her pen name. Yeah, um, it was what she, ne- she adopted. Yeah, her sponsored name. <laughs> yes, and she basically she went round the world. She, uh, in the 1890s, yes. writing about it as well. An amazing woman, an amazing journey. Really extraordinary. I mean, this is how there's not been a film made about this is, is really quite baffling. Um, so a Latvian immigrant living in Boston. Um, it's a little bit hazy of the details of exactly why she got to the point of cycling around the world. But, but the story goes that two men made a wager that a woman couldn't, well, one of them bet that the woman couldn't cycle around the world um, in a certain amount of 
time and then the other one said that they could she decided to take it on and prove them prove that she could She'd never been on a bicycle before. <laughs> why? <laughs> it was her that took this on, and 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 why she felt that she was the one to do it. I'm, I, I don't think anyone could quite work out. But um, actually, what followed maybe it proves why she did because the story is extraordinary, and what and what Annie did is um become just the most extraordinary self publicist for her epic voyage. Um. And I think it's I, I feel full pointing this out, but she didn't quite cycle around the world. There were quite a lot of boats and trains involved mm. um, because it was never fully stipulated that she had to cycle everywhere that that, that she could. Um, so um, a, a liberal use of um, public transport um, mm. was uh, was involved. However, um, there was an awful lot of cycling involved as, as well. So when she, the first um, cycled across a fair bit of America going one way and then coming back and realising she couldn't get over the mountains to California um, to take the boat um, east because she knows would come she just wouldn't get over so she ended up going all the way back to New York she's already, already come mm. um, and taking a boat to France um, and when she set out in France by the time she got down to the south of France she was an uh, international celebrity and everywhere she went there'd be crowds coming out to see her um French absolutely adored her um and all along the way she picked up sponsors um like we mentioned she was sponsored by by Londonry Water um but but many other thoughts as well, and and she would do interviews with journalists. Um, her her storytelling got quite um, uh, colourful, um, we say, um, and I, I, there was a fair bit of embroidery about um, some of the antics or um, escapades that she got involved in, um, where she claimed, for instance, that she got was a prisoner of war. Um, but in a Japanese um, internment camp that um, she'd been shot at. Um, many of these things weren't true. Um, however, I think, um, as I sort of said before, I think what it's just still just so amazing that this woman who mm. left her husband and children um, to go out on this extraordinary journey um, was keeping all this going, keeping the interest in what she was doing going. Um, she became a understandably a huge fan of rational dress. Um, she set out in a dress and on a lady's drop frame bicycle. Soon realised that that was an awful lot of effort, um, and someone gave her some rationals and a, and a man's bicycle. Um, what was seen as a man's bicycle then, and she never looked back. Um, so she was quite a good advert as well for for. Um, Aggressive women's dress, um, and also just women going out in the world and doing extraordinary things. I mean, this was a time of sort of um, great Victorian adventuring where um, people were going out and trying to rush around the world in a certain number of days of this fog. And there was Nellie Bly, who was a journalist um, in New York, who had rushed around the world using every different form of transport um, and achieved a record. And, um, Isn't Nellie Bly the one that the Susan B. Anthony yes. quote is from, in effect? Yes, so I, it, was, it was that Nellie Bly was interviewing? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just yeah. for the record, I've, I've, just, I've just gone to the back of your book 
And uh, Annie Londonderry, her real name was uh, Kopchowski. Yeah. That's a cracking name. Yeah. So Annie Londonderry, Kopchowski. And I didn't know the water bit. But that's she's yes. sponsored by yes, by a water company, and that's why she picked that up. That's yeah, cool. and you had to hang a sign from her bicycle, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of been great when you're cycling these long distances. But um, that's a great idea, though, to change your name in effect. Yeah, so, you know, uh, Carlton sort of, Perrier Water. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite sweet. Now, um, you, you can't really because we're, we're talking about Susan B. Anthony. We've talked about um, emancipation, but you can't really. Uh, uh, leave that particular subject with, of course, saying suffragettes were big into bikes, weren't they? Yeah, that was a, this was really lovely to discover and read about. Um, from um, it was uh, Sylvia's um, memoir. She talks about how Christabel became obsessed by cycling um, as a teenager and absolutely begged her father for a bicycle. This is when they were still living in Manchester, um, and he at first thought it was dangerous, but when she was sixteen. Um, for her birthday she was given a lovely bicycle um no expense spared apparently um and then um Sylvia was um told to accompany her sister um given a not so so um uh, fancy bicycle um and they joined the Clarion Cycling Club um in Manchester mm. and spent their weekends and and I think most of their spare time pedaling around the countryside lanes around Manchester um taking part in Hub camps and summer holiday camps and um, distributing the Clarion newspaper, but generally just having a lovely time on bicycles. Um, and as far as I can, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I think when they moved to London and founded the WSPU, which is the Women's Social and Political Union, which is the suffragettes, they probably didn't find so much time to cycling. Um, however, um, what um, is really nice is that cycling was still part of their movement was very integral to their movement um so they um their members um use their bicycles to recruit other members and spread the word about victor women um because this was the best way the most effective way of um getting to the next village the next town um mm. to reach those people um this time before People only had cars and trains weren't going to take you everywhere. So, um, and and I've seen the illustration of the two suffragettes stopping Churchill's car. Um, yes, yes. Um, and then bicycles also became um, when the when the movement became much more militant. Um, so when um, they were putting lights post boxes and um, mm-hmm. like houses um, bicycles became getaway vehicles <laughs> which is quite quite amusing um, and there's a story of two which I mentioned um, who set light to a um, I should say empty mansion in um, Surrey one one evening um, but they get stopped by a policeman not because he thinks that they, they they're arsonists but because they didn't have any lights on the bicycles <laughs> but they were um, apprehended um, not long after um, when they could have um, put two and two together. <laughs> um, but yes, they stored their um, arson equipment in their bicycle baskets. <laughs> <laughs> So it's quite radical in many, many different ways. So, so, so when you think of wearing trousers is radical, well, here they are like firebombing stuff. So we've, <laughs> we've got some quite interesting bits of, of, of radicalisation. And I guess the Vic, late Victorians were like pretty much mixing it all together 
and you know want a woman wearing to wear trousers and and getting in front of you know churchill's car and firebombing stuff was all pretty much the same thing as radical as as each other yes although it's it's also worth saying that um you know for a lot of the lot of women who were thinking about cycling at this time it wasn't it was quietly radical um in the sense of they were riding bicycles but they they didn't perhaps necessarily see it in such a visible way and weren't so involved in um, the, the, the kind of women's political movement at the time. Um, and they were probably less, um, you know, there were many that were less um, uh, kind of, um, they were a bit more, you know, they might have wanted to change their dress. Um, they might have thought it was a good idea to wear trousers, but they weren't quite ready for that. Um, there's there's interesting um, details in the history about how women, instead of like rushing to, to wear bloomers, um, they adapted their skirts. So they still look like skirts. They look like Victorian women's skirts, but they had clever adaptions um, to make them safer for bicycling. Um, so they got quite creative as well at this time. But yes, and 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 obviously there were wearing bicycles with covered cane guards to make safer if you chose to wear an old skirt if that's if that's where you felt comfortable um let's let's Hannah, let's link those two subjects together uh using two women who are very much still with us uh, and that's sheila hanlon so is the the expert on uh, suffragettes and bicycles and then uh, kat jungernickel yes. who uh, makes makes the exact yes. clothing which you've talked about yes. there so so I assume you talked to both Sheila and Kat for your. For I your haven't, book. but I've I've um I have read their book and paper. Well, Sheila's papers in the British Library, and um I'm, I've credited them all in the book. But yes, they. I mean, I have met Kat as well. Um, but yes, they all um hugely important um sort of women's cycling historians and and had a big influence on 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 where I went for my research as well. So tell me about Kat because. And you haven't met her, well, you've met her, but you haven't interviewed her for the book as such. But just tell me a, a bit about what she, I've never had her on the show, I don't think. But just tell me her her clothing and what she does with it, because it, it's it's pretty clever. Um, Kat, yeah, Kat, um, she, uh, so she's um, researched into um, the patent, the patent um, that Victorian women um were registering at this time for innovative cycling clothing that wasn't rational dress. Um, so um, there were there were um, she has examples of women who were um, there's one woman who made a skirt with um, a kind of pulley system. Um, so within the layers of fabric, um, there were kind of um, there was the ability to kind of pull, um, pull. Uh, I'm not explaining it very well, but the pull parts up so you could lift the skirt. It became a shorter skirt when you were on the bicycle, and then you could drop it right back down again um, when you were off. So, so as soon as you were off the bicycle, you were back to being a Victorian woman in traditional Victorian dress, and you weren't going to be um, upsetting anyone or you know, causing um, alarm. Um, and there were women who um, sort of sewed weights in the bottom of their um, skirts so that um, they didn't fly up and, and um, reveal shocking amounts of leg. Um, so 
yeah, Kat's um, done a really extraordinary research into, um, as I said, these women who actually went as far as registering patents. Um, and, and it is very interesting at this time. Like I have been through um, countless um, magazines, cycling magazines from the 1890s, and they are full, particularly the ones more directed to women, of adverts for tailors who will make these dresses or um, it's the companies like Jaeger, who um, at this time are very involved in making um, like woolen cycling clothing, um, all kind of inspired and um, informed by um, many of the women that Kat talked about, um, who really kind of radicalised um, women's cycling clothing, often in quite quiet and subtle ways. People know about suffragettes, of course. Um, but then you have in this period, you have uh, the new woman in, in all in uh, the, the first letters there in, in, in caps, uh, very much an American uh, phenomenon. But it's not radical as such. It was seen as, as semi-radical back then. But what's the kind of distinction between the new woman, new women uh, movement and and suffragettes? Obviously, it's, there's a there's a voting element there. But. Could they be the same women or were they yeah, very much so, different movements? Yeah, so new women um, sort of preceded the, the, the suffragette um, movement. Um, so they preceded the WSPU, um, which were the suffragettes. But they were very much still wanting the vote for women. Um, but it was the WSPU that, that made that a formal organisation. Um, but new women the, the term was coined in the um the 1890s um and the, the suffragette organization um started in the early 1900s um so they would have been exactly that market uh, that same demographic sorry mm. Mm. um women who wanted yeah the right to vote but also um you know often an education the right to um to have more freedoms and economic and political rights. So that's that's that was often a, a, a middle class. Yes, thing, yeah. You know, to be yeah, to be doing yeah. it. But then you've got things like the Mowbray House Cycling Association, which is which are very much a, a thing you could you could almost run today with like immigrant communities where you want uh, uh, women to to get onto uh, onto bikes from like uh, Bangladeshi communities, for instance, because they were basically this particular organisation which was set up by or funded by a, a, a rich journalist uh, was basically trying to get uh, working women on bikes because at this period that this wasn't a working woman's form of transport, was it? Uh, not not in the early days, no. Um, bicycles um, were fairly expensive, um, sort of in the kind of first part of the one of the first half of the eighteen nineties. They got progressively more affordable, um, but yes, and 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 cycling was, and its absolute peak of the eighteen nineties was very much a society women's occupation, um, and. They like the fact that by Lady Harburton gives it yeah. away, that sort of thing, doesn't it? It's like it's it's, it's posh people on. It really bikes. was, and there's actually there's a film. Um, I'm sure you've seen it, Colton, um, from 1896 of Hyde Park. It's a really really early mm. film, um, and it's very interesting, not just for just the film industry in general, um, where you can see um, the society people of London cycling around on a 
what I assume is maybe a Sunday afternoon um, in Hyde Park in all their in all their finery. Well, what you can make out from it is a very short clip, but it's it's really amazing to have it. Um, but yes, I talk in the book about um, various ladies and um, aristocrats who would would meet at Battersea boathouse and have a huge breakfast or with 50 of their closest friends and then all go cycling or have dinners um, where they would all then cycle through the streets of London afterwards. I mean, it was just such a fashionable thing. Um, so it wasn't ladies who lunch, it was, you know, ladies who pedal, basically, <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, they, they, they moved on pretty quickly, though, the <laughs> aristocracy. Um, mm. But that's, you know, they had in a way, help stigmatise the idea of um, women on bicycles, um, which was which was which was useful, um, and the popularity meant that mass production um, was ramped up to such an extent that um, bicycles came cheaper and cheaper. Um, and I believe that there were lots of methods of purchasing bicycles as well in in kind of sort of doing instalments and buying. And then the second hand market obviously started. Um, ramping up um as time progressed um so more and more women could afford it but yes the mowbray house association is, is really interesting this is um sheila's research um and, and she's, she wrote um, a really interesting paper about it um and it was a way of yeah making making working women's lives easier by 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 giving them the ability to cycle to work um, and also be able to, um, I think they owned um, various, a caravan and a holiday cottage. Um, so people, so their members could actually go on holidays and get some time away from work and, and London, um, which is, is a little bit the same as what the Tarion was doing, um, the Tarion cycling clubs. Mm. Um, yes. And, and yeah, you mentioned the, the connection now with um, the various um initiatives one of which i was involved in and um, the bike project which um helps uh refugee and asylum seekers to learn to ride bicycles and they have a program specifically for women called pedal power um which features them to ride and at the end of the course they um, get given a bicycle um which yeah it's not it's not a million miles from what was happening at mowbray there's a fa- there's a film and I'm, I'm trying to think what it's called Ma- mama somebody have you seen that film? It's a Dutch film about a um, uh, Dutch woman who gets uh, immigrant women on on bicycles, and it's oh, I can't think of what the name, but I'll put it in the, the show hey, notes. No, anyway, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic film. It's Mama something. Yeah. And I did a whole story on it, and now I can't think of what the the second part of it is. But it it'll be right up yeah, your street. Yeah, yeah. I thought I did all my. I'll definitely send you a link for it afterwards. I've looked at every cycling uh, women cycling film, but obviously not. Well, this is a this is a modern yeah. one, um, but it's 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 really really it's really heartwarming stuff. So I'll put it in the show notes, and I'll I'll, I'll send oh, you a great. link afterwards. So sticking, actually, we'll go back onto to posh people actually. So because I'm pretty sure I've I've read this book online. I didn't get this. Um, uh, I didn't need to go and get this physically. I think you can get it on like archive.org. And that is uh, Maria Ward's yes. book, Bicycling yes. for yes. Ladies, which is so wonderful. Yes. I love yes. I love that book. It is posh. It's a posh book. But just tell us a little about, uh, about that yeah, book. Yeah, um, Maria Ward um, lived in on Staten Island um, and she was a member of the Staten Island Cycling Club um, to Staten Island in New York. Um, and she decided to 
she loved cycling and she decided that she would write a book to um, encourage and inspire and help other women who were interested in learning to ride a bicycle. Um, so it's a manual for cycling, um, which which seems uh, a slightly strange thing now because you think if you're learning to ride a bike, you would just get on a bicycle and be taught by an instructor. And but for a lot of people at this time, that wasn't a that wasn't a possibility. Although I should mention as an aside, there were a lot of cycling schools at this time, um, which is a which is a strange thing. But they wouldn't have been accessible to everyone. Um, and she felt obviously felt that. Um, women needed extra encouragement um and 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 specialist information so in it she would talk about um what clothes she wore on a bicycle wears on a bicycle and what she thinks is appropriate but there's there's pages and pages of how you actually go about cycling um and one of the really interesting things which i i i talk about in the book is how much time she spends on on mechanics and fixing bicycles um and she is really really into it um and she talks about um having a bicycle workshop of her own um and and how joyous it is to be able to just take a bicycle apart completely and put it back together again um and she's she sort of um she thinks that all women should should be taught the or learn the um how to fix their own bicycles so they're not they can go out cycling on their own um which she really encouraged as well even though she was a passionate member of a club she also encouraged felt that women should be going out and taking rides alone um that that was something that 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 they could do and they should do um and that if they got a puncture when they were out that they would be able to sort it out for themselves it, it is a great book i mean she's basically the dreaded Jaworsdowski. I'm, I'm murdering that name, sorry. Uh, or Bike Kitchen. Yes, There's tons in that book that, that has a modern resonance. Really and you, you could get in Jenny's book, because Je- Jenny's written a book, hasn't yes, she, she does. On, yeah. on how to yeah. build your own yeah. bike and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So so, so as much as Jenny is a is an absolute uh, barnstormer today, yes. there were people like her doing that. All the way the, back then. Uh, and there's quite a few the of them. Then, actually. Yeah, there's a surprising mm. number of them doing this, um, which again shows how popular just how popular cycling was at the time. That there was this market for it. Um, but also that, that they felt that women needed, there were women who needed a bit of extra encouragement and, and um, education. Um to go it have the courage to just get up and get do it so in your book you do talk about um uh, participation numbers and and how that has absolutely fluctuated uh through time so what what are those numbers are, are we talking about because it's it's very often said you know if 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 you have a cycling culture that welcomes you know if you have lots of women cycling basically you must have a fantastic cycling culture it's that kind of thing yes um so very much depends on um which country you're talking about um as we all know uh germany the netherlands denmark have extremely high numbers of women cycling um in the uk and north america it's around a third of cyclists are women, um, which is the same as it was back in the 1890s. So it's it's a bit of a shame that we haven't really progressed um, since then to to, to equalise more. Um, 
but yes, the the and also cycling has has fallen in and out of fashion. Um, again, depending on on where you're talking about, but certainly in sort of Europe and North America, it it was huge. You know, it's 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 almost unimaginable now to to how popular it was in in the boom time of the 1890s. Um, but sort of by the 50s, it was really, really declining. Um, I mean, it already had declined very significantly um, from the beginning of the 20th century onwards. But sort of 50s, 60s, it was it was really, really falling out of favour. Um, mm. And um, you know, seen as it, it it became almost, um, um, you know, Carlson it stigmatised as um, something you did because you couldn't afford a car. Um, but whilst in China it was uh, it was on the rise at this point, so you know it's, it, it depending on where you were in the world, it's a very different story. And then it, now in China it's had the same thing; it's gone out of fashion again. While whilst it's come back in fashion in Europe, and North America, um, so it's sort of this up and down um, trajectory. Uh, well, on that slightly depressing yes. note, well, no, it's, it's positive because it's becoming more and more fashionable again. Um. Well, I'd like I'd like to cut to a, a, an ad break now, if you don't mind. But I would I do want to come back and and, and talk more. But let right right this second time, let's go to David for that ad break. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much, and it's it's always my pleasure to talk about our advertiser. This is a longtime loyal advertiser. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Jensen. USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. I've been telling you for years now, years, that Jensen is the place where you can get a great selection of every kind of product that you need for your cycling lifestyle at amazing prices. And what really sets them apart, because of course there's lots of online retailers out there, but what really sets them apart is their unbelievable support. When you call and you've got a question about something, you'll end up talking to one of their gear advisors. And these are cyclists. I've been there. I've seen it. These are folks who who ride their bikes to and from work. These are folks who ride at lunch, who go out on group rides after work because they just enjoy cycling so much. Uh, and, and so you know that when you call, you'll be talking to somebody who has knowledge of the products that you're calling about. If you're looking for a new bike, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, a gravel bike, a fat bike, what are you looking for? Go ahead and check them out. Jensen USA, they are the place where you will find everything you need for your cycling lifestyle. It's jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. We thank them so much for their support and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, let's get back to the show. Uh, thanks, David. And uh, we are back with Hannah Ross and we are talking about uh, Revolutions, her new book uh, that was out just earlier this month in April. Hannah, was it? When, when, when did it come out? Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, first of April, April. Oh, day. right. OK. Um, no and who's your publisher? <laughs> who's, who's, who do people need to go to? In the first half of the show... Obviously, it's a it's a it's a long and detailed book. So we've just skimmed just a, just a few names um, from 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 the the historical part of your book. But in this second half of the show, let's let's try and bring it a, a bit more up to date. Uh, but still still staying kind of like for lots of people, this would still be you know, ancient history. But let's start with mountain biking because uh, Gary Fisher gets lots of credit. Um, lots of those those early guys uh, uh, get. Lots of credit. Yet Wendy Cragg very rarely gets 
talked about. Yeah, all those photographs, virtually all those photographs, which you see in Gary's book, uh, which you see, you know, the early days, the, the clunkers and stuff, they were virtually all of them were shot by, by when, and you talked to her, didn't you, in, in your book? I did talk to her, yeah. Um, she is still living in um, uh, Mount Camel Pies, which is, which is where it's kind of, I mean, it's contested, but it's sort of generally seen as a piece of mountain biking. Um, and Wenda was there um, for all of that. Um, and they were her friends, they were her cycling buddies. Um, and yeah, as you say, she was, she was the main photographer, but she was also doing the, um, the, what was then the kind of nascent scene of downhill mountain biking, um, down these fire roads and dirt passes. Um, and she was pretty much the only woman there. Um, and it's, yeah, I found this really, um, really fascinating, interesting um, uh, part of um, the story of mountain of cycling and mountain biking in particular. But, um, you know, mountain biking, I think, seen as this kind of, well, um, I mean, back then as this very kind of male-dominated, rugged, um, rugged sport um, that sort of came out of um, this sort of alternative cycling scene where they were, you know, the people who were um, started this, this idea of mountain biking. I mean, it's, um, they invented, these people were inventing mountain bikes. They were sort of adapting their own bikes in order to handle these, um, this rough terrain um, because they found they had been raised, many of them had been road cyclists and they found it maybe a little bit stayed, um, a bit too rules driven. And they thought, well, you know, we have fun just cycling around um, roads on the mountain. Let's make this a thing. Let's, let's, let's start doing racing down some of these tracks. Does she, does she still ride? I think she does a little, I mean, she does a, a little bit, I think. I mean, um, but, um, she still enjoys going out on, on, on bicycle. Now, we, we, we talked before about Annie uh, Londonderry Kopchowski being a fascinating woman. And this, this next woman is, I guarantee, is fascinating because she's absolutely crackers and I love her to bits. That's Jackie Phelan. Um, so, Jack, Jackie is, again, it's another one of these amazing characters. Which mountain uh, biking that, is that, really that, full of, I think. Um, yes, well, Missy Giovi, yeah. obviously. But, 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 but Jackie... I mean, did you talk to Jackie? I did talked to you... Jackie a little bit, um, uh, and she is again like Wenda. She was there from the very, pretty much from the, not quite from the very beginning as Wenda, but very very early on. Um, and this was back when um, women it was much less um, uh, not professional, but. Um, this commercialised than it is now, mountain biking. Um, and they, the women were competing on the same courses um, and there were far less of them. Um, but um, you had to be, I think you probably did have to be quite a character to um, kind of deal with the sort of, um, uh, sort of I mean, it's, it's, it's dangerous stuff that they're doing. Um, and it was sort of, a lot of it was sort of made up as they went along, but Jackie, um, was involved for, um, many years and she, she, um, she was there as a sport became, started turning to become much more professional and much more commercialized and there was much more money in it. Um, but she won, she won numerous, um, 
records and held many records. Um, and she was also always, you could always note, see that Jackie was in a race because of her um, very eccentric outfits. Um, I think she had a tux that she attached to her, her bicycle helmet. Um, and um, she, her partner was a um, another um, very keen mountain biker. And he was also um, a really extraordinary mechanic as well. So he was kind of inventing um, mountain bikes that she was racing on. Um, and they were kind of really, no one had seen bikes like that. And they were really kind of revolutionary on the scene as well and kind of influenced um, what mountain bikes became, um, downhill mountain bikes. Um, so she's really extraordinary. And, and she went on to form this kind of um, organisation which encouraged more women into mountain biking. This was a time when, when, when it, very few women still were getting involved because I, the, the image of it, it, it just did, I guess, for a lot of women, just felt overtly masculine. And, um, so that's wombats, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. Women's Mountain Bike and Tea Society. Yes. I, I've, I've got, she gave me, the last time I was, I was with her, she gave me um, some patches to sew onto stuff uh, with wombat stuff on. Uh, and she was, you know, you are to mention about her racing there. And she was beating men, you know. She yeah. was yes, there was there was certain women who she was very much um, competing with at the time, but she could beat you know men uh, uh, back then. You know now that's not that's not so surprising, but back then it was quite surprising that a woman was 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 beating men in these mountain bike races. So she's a wonderful. So there's so many characters in your book which are absolutely larger than life. Um, so so there's, it's, it's great that you're you're you're, you're talking about. All of these people, like the Annie Lundaries of this world, and you know, through to, to to Jackie Phelan, and then Asia McGowan is in your book. So Asia's been on on the show. So uh, a black woman um, cyclist trying to break in, in, into the to the pro ranks. So she's got a fantastic yeah. story as well. Did you talk to Asia? Um, I met Asia when she um, she came to London mm. um, to do an event. Um, uh, and I, I I met her and we had lunch then. Um, but yeah, I actually um, she's in the last chapter where I, I I sort of try and as much as possible summarize what's happening on the racing scene now um, across well road cycling, um, cyclocross, um, a little and mountain biking, um, and just the kind of um, push for um, more diversity. Um, the women like Aisha, who is um, who's been really kind of high profile in campaigning and, and is really kind of changing the sport from the inside. Talk about diverse. So we we had the suffragettes who were the you know, the radicals of their day, but then you've got like the ovarian psychos bicycle brigade. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're California. Would that would I be right? They are LA based. Yes, um, um, and they. Um, their their thing is about um, reclaiming the streets. Um, for um, I mean, they're 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 extremely political. Um, they're very involved in um, anti gentrification um, movement in LA. Um, they are a group of Latino women. Um, dominantly, they're they're involved in social justice and and as I said anti gentrification now. But um, when they started. Um, they started these um, bike rides called the Lunar Rides, Lunar rides um, which were their, back then monthly rides. 
um, where they would um, work around the streets of LA together as a group of women. Um, they felt that um, alone, they weren't safe on the streets. Um, and they felt that there was there was certain prejudice about them as well. Um, prejudice coming from different 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 places. Um, that some people felt um, they felt that some people felt that they shouldn't be cycling, but felt um, because they were women. That other um, some communities felt that they fit the mould of um, cyclists, that they weren't um, white and middle class and able to afford expensive bikes. So that's sort of, um, it's really interesting that they're kind of really countering a lot of, of prejudices and preconceived ideas about women and cyclists across many different um, levels. Um, but yeah, for, for them, it's, it's, it's about... Um, togetherness and um, empowerment, um, which, you know, as we've talked about, goes, goes way back. Um, goes way back to the, to the beginning of cycling. Um, and they are still doing these lunar rides, um, which is amazing. And they invite any woman um, or um, anyone identifying as a woman to join them. Um, and, and it's this kind of movement of owning their streets. Um, and, and, and enjoying cycling, having a good time. And crazy <laughs> that, that it's still a political statement. I mean, this is this is both male and exactly. female. It, it, yeah. Riding a bicycle, you know, in the 1890s yeah. was very often a political statement. Just as today, yeah. it can be. Just getting onto yeah. a bicycle can be a political statement, which is yeah. which is crackers. Yeah, it is crackers. I mean, more so um, I talk about in countries like um, Afghanistan and Iran. Um, Saudi Arabia, where I've interviewed um, people, um, women cycling there, and it really very is politically very politically charged issue there. Um, and with with so many of the arguments about why women should cycle there, so um, echo what was happening here in the 1890s. It's a similar kind of fears, and 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 the language isn't isn't a million miles from. from from what people were saying then as well, it's, it's it's interesting. But but there are extraordinary women who are who are fighting all that now as well, um, and establishing cycling as something that women can and should do. Um, I feel safe. Mm. Well, Hannah, that's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you ever so much for taking some time away from Cleo to uh, be with, be with us on, on today's show. So uh, to end, would you mind uh, telling us how we can get hold? of uh, your book and any social media things we should be aware of to, to, to get in touch with you? Uh, yes. Well, thank you so much for having me, Carlton. Um, I've had a, a really enjoyable time speaking to you. Um, and should anyone wish to buy my book, um, it's available from all the usual outlets. Um, and I am on Twitter, Hannah V. Ross. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And by the way, it was Mama Agatha. I did a, a, a quick search on that. So I, I did a story on Forbes.com on it. It was 2019 because they, they did a few teasers a, a couple of years before that. Then they released the whole movie. I think it's pr- probably on Netflix and stuff. So Mama Agatha, absolutely right up your street, Hannah. Fantastic. I'm going to search it out. 
Thanks to Hannah Ross and thanks to you for listening to the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. Show notes and more can be found on the-spokesmen.com. But meanwhile, get out there and ride. <laughs>